Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Dina. You might have noticed that I often wear bright red lipstick for Shabbat services, which is sort of my little pop of color and personality in my Zoom box. I'm not really a big makeup person, actually, but now my signature Rabbi Red, part of my Shabbat prep. It's the final step on my Friday routine of frantically finishing my work, doing a workout, hopping in the shower, hopping on for sound check, usually with soaking wet hair still, and no makeup. And I finish my sound check and I go to put on some makeup, and that red lipstick is that last step that helps me say, okay, I'm here, it's Shabbat, I'm ready to do the rabbi thing. It's the step that takes me from normal weekday me to Shabbat me. And I'm guessing that many of you can relate, that maybe you're not lipstick people, but maybe you have a lucky sweater or that pair of sneakers you wear every time you fly or the power suit you put on when you've got an interview or a presentation. We're always making statements about ourselves to the world with our clothing and our accessories and our makeup and our yada, yada, yada. And we're actually probably making statements to ourselves as well. There's a reason why experts have been urging us all pandemic to actually put on real clothes and go sit at a desk when we work from home. Don't just put on our pajamas and sit in bed all day. Because studies have shown that we're more productive when we dress like we're doing work. And suppose when we dress like we're not doing work. Of course, we all know that there's no bright lipstick in the world that can change who we are. I am still me, with my red lipstick or not. But if you read this week's Parsha, I wouldn't blame you for thinking that clothing can actually change us. The majority of the Parsha this week describes the clothes for the high priest and for the other priests who serve alongside him. So every priest who serves in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple has a uniform of sorts, specially dyed tunic and pants and turban, and then the high priest gets this extra special sort of highly decorated extra garments. Wear these things or die in your service, the Torah says to the high priest, tempting us to look at the descriptions of the priestly garments in the Torah and say, all right, at least when it comes to serving God, the clothes make the man, huh? And we're given two explanations in the Torah for why the high priest needs to wear these fancy clothes. One is likavod ulitifaret for splendor and beauty, and the other is to sanctify him, to serve God as a priest. So the mystical commentator Ramban, not the Rambam, Ramban, says that the high priest becomes honored and glorious in his service of God, specifically because he wears honorable and splendid clothing. Ramban takes pains to explain how the clothing of the high priest is actually just like royal garments. So the high priest is not just the high priest when he serves, but he's actually dressed as sort of the king of the Israelites. This was in the era before the Israelites had actual kings. Without the clothes, he might be any old schmo, but with his special garments, he's the king of the Israelites. He's fit to serve God. This week in the Morning Scroll podcast, I talked about the idea of God's presence in the Israelite camp as being sort of like building a nuclear power plant. 
It's a source of tremendous energy, yes, but it's also a real potential danger. So proper precautions have to be taken, just as we would take if we were trying to build a nuclear power plant in our midst. Anyone who's going to work there needs to wear special protective clothing so they don't catch radiation, and we need to build up special things around that area, keep people away from it at the right times, etc. So too with God's presence and the building of the Mishkan. That they're there to safeguard the priest and all of the Israelites from the power, the danger of being so close to God's presence. Right? Being in God's presence is awesome. It's also kind of risky. The high priest, the person who gets to come closest to this contact with the divine presence, he's coming in contact with highly charged material he needs to wear, special clothing, so that he can function as an intermediary. Right? Unless we think like this is just a made-up thing that the Torah is telling us, no. The danger is actually really real. We're going to read next week how too much closeness to God's presence causes Moshe's face to glow in a way that really alarms the Israelites. And he has to wear a mask. He has to wear like a something over his face to cover him to protect the Israelites from being scared. Right? This is the origin of Jews have horns, is that Moshe's face was radiating like horns of light. So from the moment that Moshe encounters God face to face, he's only ever able to continue to be completely open with God. He has to mask part of himself whenever he's with the Israelites. Right? He has a close encounter with God, and he becomes sort of radioactive himself. It's okay for Moshe, right? Because he's God's representative to the Israelites, right? He comes from God, says stuff to the Israelites. The high priest is his counterpart. So he can't take the risk of becoming radioactive, because in the Torah and in the time of the temple, the high priest is really the Israelites' representative to God. That if we are in a dialogue with God but God is kind of a highly charged material, it's like dangerous to get too close without proper precautions, the high priest is the person who does that go-between for us. We learn in the Torah that, at least in this version of God's presence that we read about in the book of Exodus, it's not really possible to have a close and unmediated relationship with God and with other people, that we need something to help us bridge that gap. Okay, so I can wrap my head around the idea intellectually. It sort of tickles me intellectually. I love the nuclear power plant metaphor, but when I think about it more, I actually kind of find it alarming that the high priest has to hide himself behind fancy clothing in order to relate most closely to God. Right? We all know that we are not just our clothing. In fact, we are mostly not our clothing. And our clothing can't make us who we want to be. I can't be Rabbi Red just by putting on red lipstick. At the end of the day, we take off our clothing, we take off our makeup, we take off our accessories, and we become just ourselves again. So emotionally and spiritually, I would want the clothing of the Kohanim and of the high priest to be simple, plain, unadorned, you know, like as little as possible to interrupt that relationship with God. I want to believe in a relationship of unmediated closeness to divine presence. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling a little awkward about clothing coming between me and God, because in the Torah, clothing is related to shame and deceit from the very beginning, right? So I've got some little, I've got some signs here. So the word for clothes, 
which is beged, is very closely related to the word in Hebrew for a traitor, a boged, right? If I hold them up side by side, you can see it's just one little vowel switch. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning of the Torah. The first story of the first clothes and, and the first humans and whatever. So Adam and Eve eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they realize that they are naked. So they're like, oh no, I don't want to be naked. So they take leaves from a nearby fig tree to cover themselves up because they're embarrassed. They didn't know they were naked. Now they do. And they're like, eh, not, don't feel good about this, right? So they make themselves a baguette. And then God sort of takes mercy on them and is like, okay, fine. I didn't want you to do that. Like, I wish you would have just been okay with being naked, but you're not. So I'm going to make you big day or I'm going to make you leather clothing to cover you and protect you as I kick you out of the Garden of Eden. So there's a midrash that plays with the spelling of the word or. So when it's spelled with an ayin, like this, it means skins or leather. And when it's spelled with an aleph, this, it means light. The words are homonyms, right? They're both pronounced or, but they're spelled differently and they mean different things. And the Midrash says that God didn't just randomly make Adam and Eve garments of or, of leather. God actually replaced their original garments of or, which were made of light, with the skins. And the Midrash claims that the original garments of light that Adam and Eve wore were shiny, luminous, like a fingernail. And the mystical tradition takes this metaphor really literally and says, they weren't just like they were covered in fingernails. They were literally covered in keratin, the material of fingernails. They didn't need clothing because they had this gorgeous, protective, shiny exoskeleton sort of thing. That their truest self in the Garden of Eden, our origins as humans, was to be shiny and flexible, but also hard and durable, sort of like primordial superhero X-Men. Like our fingernails, it protected them without hiding what was underneath, or, you know, unless you cover it with nail polish, as I've done. But if you don't have nail polish on your fingers, you can actually see your flesh underneath. So Adam and Eve, in this light garment that looked like fingernails, radiated light. They reflected the energy they received from the world back into it. So the real tragedy of the expulsion from the Garden of Eden was that we lost this ideal, beautiful, shiny, reflective, protective covering. We stopped being able to multiply the light in the world just by existing. We became dull, opaque, and also vulnerable. After Eden, we are forced to wear clothes to protect ourselves from the elements and to hide our bodies, to hide what's inside us. We were traitors. We were bogdim to the word of God. And so we had to go out into the world and protect ourselves with bigadim, with clothing. It's the reason that so many of us want to donate coats in the winter because we recognize inherently the danger that comes from not adequately protecting our bodies from the elements. So that's the first story of clothes in the book of Genesis. It doesn't really get better from there, right? All through the book of Genesis, clothing is used to cheat and to lie and to deceive and to generally wreak havoc. We've got the story of Jacob putting on goat skins to deceive his father and trick him into giving him a blessing that was really meant for his brother who was hairy. 
We've got the story of Laban covering Leah up with clothing on her wedding night to Jacob so that Jacob marries a wife he didn't want. We've got Joseph getting that multicolored coat that inflates his own ego and inflames the anger of his, en of his brothers and enemies. And by the end of the book of Brashit, the message is pretty clear. Clothing is a tool to hide us, to help us get up to no good. So now, fast forward, we need to wear sequins to sparkle in the light or like sparkly powder, whatever. And we look at each other with prejudice because of what we see on the outside because we're no longer able to literally see ourselves reflected in someone else. So where we used to be covered with God's own creation that protected us and helped us radiate light, now we cover ourselves with works of human creation, very often products of unfair labor and exploitation. And it's a real about face then that takes us from the book of Genesis where people repeatedly use their beged to be a boged. I'm really loving my signs. It takes us into this week's Parsha where we learn that Aaron and the future high priests need clothing to elevate them to a level worthy of divine labor, to protect them as they approach God's presence. It's also a really honest assessment of what it takes to step into positions of power and authority, right? The clothes, the effort that went into creating them, the awe and honor that we give the clothes of the high priest, they tell him that he is not alone as he steps into the unknown to face God, right? He remembers all of the people who helped make his clothing, who helped protect him so that he could go be their messenger. And the priestly garments, which are really basically just expensive, decorative, multi-layered costumes, work in transforming him. Right? He puts on these special ritual garments and they elevate him from any old schmo to a person who is allowed to enter into a special unmediated relationship with divine presence. His beged, his clothing, allows him to not be a boged, to be able to have an honest conversation with God. It's a total 180. So clothing, which was once the symbol of shame and deceit in the Torah, becomes the vessel by which we serve, by which we are able to be in relationship with God and with others. So even though the priestly garments are a sort of costume, they're also a transformative tool for turning a person from herself into a servant of the divine. So perhaps the transition in the Torah from clothing as deceit to clothing as holy costume teaches us something about how we portray ourselves. For anyone who's ever assumed a position of power, you might have felt some imposter syndrome, where everyone expects you to be able to fill a role that you're like, who, me? So for me, my rabbi red lipstick is my armor against imposter syndrome my armor against the fear of all of you wanting to, me to offer you comfort and inspiration and joy. It's like, well, hey, just me? Like, I, I'm just me. I put on my rabbi red, you know, and my talit and my head covering, and it helps me step into my role and my best rabbi self. Last night at our Purim celebration, many of you came in costume. There were more than 60 people who participated in the costume parade, which was so awesome. 
And it was sort of a fun, goofy reminder of the fact that actually we're always hiding behind masks to protect ourselves, as Esther once did. Right? That's what Purim does. It just flips that thing on its head. It's like, oh, I think you're being silly. Actually, here's a really honest, like brutally honest assessment of how we act in the world. So we put on our costumes at Purim, and then we take them off after Purim, and it's our annual reminder to be a little bit more brave, to do a little bit less hiding who we are, and a little bit more confidently stepping into who we want to be with a little help, right? It's a reminder that it's okay to have help. It's okay to rely on something as long as it doesn't hide you. So now we don't need special clothes or garments to be able to approach God as the Aaron and the Kohanim did. Heck, we don't even really need to wear real clothes for Shabbat if we're just sitting in front of our computers. But we have the chance to create things that help us draw closer to each other, to a sense of the numinous, a sense of like there is something holy out there that I have access to if I only am brave enough to step towards it. And our goal as we leave Purim should be to take stock of when we're putting on masks to try to deceive others about who we are and when we are just leaning on our lipstick or our lucky sneakers to help us step into our power. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, Thanks for tuning in.